Let's get it. Monday, November 30th, 2020. Born the Battle. Brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs. The podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highlight on important resources, offices, and benefits for our veterans. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. Hope you had a good week outside of podcast land. It is still Thanksgiving week at the time of this recording, but I hope you had a great Thanksgiving now that it's the future. I'm living in the past. Couple ratings, one new review came in. This one from V. Walburn says five stars. Great podcast for veterans. Every episode is informative and entertaining. Very timely info on VA benefits. Always time well spent. The Blue Water Navy show really hit home due to all the Vietnam vets that I know. I always spread the news I hear as well as promoting the podcast. Keep up the great work, Tanner. Vince Walburn, U.S. Air Force, 1983 to 2015. Vince, thank you so much for the feedback. It's good to know that the information provided is being spread by veterans and patriots such as yourself. And I enjoy learning about all these benefits and knowing that veterans like you are using and spreading the information makes it all worth it. So thank you. As always, if you like what we put together every week, please consider smashing that subscribe button and leaving a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts. You'll be helping, like Vince, push this podcast up in the algorithms, giving more veterans the chance to catch the information provided not only in the interviews, but in the benefits breakdown episodes and in the news releases. Talking news releases, we got two this week. First one says, for immediate release, the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs is encouraging veterans to leave smoking behind for good during the Great American Smokeout by combining cessation counseling with other VA clinical resources and support. VA healthcare providers can help veterans explore the role tobacco plays in their daily routine, including the activities or situations that trigger them to use tobacco, such as talking on the phone, drinking coffee or alcohol, or feeling bored and stressed. Providers work with veterans to develop strategies for coping with those triggers and to tailor plans for quitting that will fit into the veteran's daily life. In addition to counseling, VA provides other services designed to help veterans quit smoking, including prescription medications, nicotine replacement products like gum and patches, and resources such as Quit Vet and Smoke Free Vet. To learn more about how the VA can help you put down smoking for good, go to mentalhealth.va.gov forward slash quit hyphen tobacco. Okay, and the last one says, for immediate release, the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs recently announced at least 25,000 more veterans are now receiving monetary benefits through federally insured banks and credit unions, mitigating their risk of fraud occurrence. Prior to the inception of the Veteran Benefits Banking Program, established in December of 2019, I think we covered that in a, in a previous news release, veterans who did not have bank accounts were only able to receive monetary benefits through prepaid debit card or paper checks. VA partnered with the Association of Military Banks of America and worked with the Defense Credit Union Council to leverage their consortium of military-friendly financial institutions that cater to service members to enhance the financial services available to VA beneficiaries. VA will continue to reach out to veterans without bank accounts or those with limited access to banking services to let them know that they now have options. To learn more about switching to direct deposit, go to www.va.gov forward slash change hyphen direct 
deposit. And to learn more about the benefits of the Veterans Benefits Banking Program, go to veteransbenefitsbanking.org. All right, so this week's interview was the first week I tried recording with this new gear that I have that I received from the office. I tested it, but when it came to game time, I sounded like I was recording in a bathroom. I, I didn't, but it came out that way on my end, so I apologize in advance for this interview. However, our guest interview came through great, and that's the important thing because she has an amazing story to share. She is an Army Reserve and National Guard veteran who was activated here at home during Desert Storm. She is a career counselor and educator who lost her husband at their early age of 52, also a veteran, and has found strength in an unlikely place. She now donates her time to a Red Cross program where she is now providing resiliency training to others, to incarcerated veterans in South Carolina. Just amazing. She is Army Reserve and National Guard veteran, Janae Bishop. Enjoy. Thank you for, for taking the time to, to sit and talk with me. I know you came highly recommended by the Red Cross. You know, we don't, we don't really talk about some of the, some of the populations, uh, the veteran populations that you serve. So all the more reason to bring you on. Oh, wonderful. Well, thank you so much. I, um, you know, some people may feel it's an underserved group, but whatever we can do or much that we can do definitely helps. You know, when you're blessed, be a blessing to others as well. That's our purpose in life. Absolutely. Now you did, um, 18 years in both the Army Reserve and the National Guard, correct? Uh, that is correct. So it was a total of about 18 years, started out in Army Reserves. And uh, then uh, at the end of the, near the end of the Army Reserves, I actually had some desert uh, duty time, um, Operation Desert Storm, excuse me. But also I spent National Guard time as well. So when I first joined, I was um, an enlisted soldier, uh, went to basic training in Fort Jackson, South Carolina. And mm -hmm came back because I was a reserve soldier going to basic training on the, what was called then the split option plan. So I came back to uh, enter my second year of college and decided to enroll in Fordham University because I'm from New York, a Fordham University's ROTC program. They had a satellite campus on John Jay College, which was closer to where I live. And so completed the last two years of ROTC since going to regular basic training took care of the first two years. Um, I was assigned to a medical detachment at that time as an ROTC cadet, got my commission into the um, Army's Adjutant General Corps. And um, that was the personnel side of the house. You know, I tend to tell people because uh, my, my late husband was actually uh, an airborne jump master. So whenever we're in mixed company, I used to say he's airborne and I'm chairborne. But uh, <laughs> I, know, I know that life well. My first MOS in the Marine Corps was admin. So oh, oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> I understand the needs about getting you know soldiers deployed and stuff. That the, how important it was to get make sure that if they got paid or if they got if they got their administrative stuff taken care of. They didn't have to worry about any of that when they were downrange. So that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And uh, and of course, that impacts morale as well. You know, if 
if pay is challenged or uh, information that the soldier needs to get has been compromised, uh, that certainly affects morale. And so at the time um, where Desert Storm had occurred, we were actually living on Fort Bragg at the time. My husband was a, um, a young lieutenant promotable captain, and he was attached to the first Special Operations Command um, there at Fort Bragg. And so his unit got mobilized. And I was actually a member of a finance National uh, Guard unit. And I had the additional duty of being a public affairs officer. And so when the 18 Airborne Corps finance unit was mobilized, then our uh, finance uh, unit became mobilized to support those services. And um, it was a unique experience because my husband was already deployed and I had to drive our two little uh, sons to South Carolina and have my parents sign papers uh, assuming guardianship. Yeah, so that was certainly an eye opener for us to uh, to assess whether or not the two of us could be a uh, two career military family. And yeah. I think we felt what was best for us was my husband remaining active. And um, after Desert Storm was complete, my being able to get an honorable discharge and uh, work on my civilian career, which has been very successful since then. Gotcha. So let me get this straight. You were you were both activated for, for Desert or your, your husband was active duty. He went he deployed for Desert Storm, but you were also activated at the same time. That is correct. I stayed put on Fort Bragg with the 18 Airborne Corps Finance Corps, and my husband was downrange. So as I understood it, you know, at that time as, as a young military spouse and mom and uh, um, at that time, National Guardsman, uh, whose unit was was also supported, I just uh, realized, as I think a number of female veterans have had to come to terms, especially if it's a dual military family, you know, it's a bigger sacrifice. And during those times, uh, whether it was the Panama invasion, which my husband was a part of, or Desert Storm, or other uh, types of uh, deployments being there on Fort Bragg, you know, it makes an impact on the family. And it certainly impacts the relationships between the service member as well as their children and their spouse. And so we made some um, hard decisions uh, that in part benefited the military with him remaining active for, for a few more years, but then definitely for our family at that time. Yeah. Now, um, I want to back up a little bit. What, where were you in life when you knew that you wanted to join the military in the first place? Oh, that's a fantastic question. So I was born and raised in New York City, and uh, my parents are from South Carolina, and I have two younger brothers. And so I had just completed my uh, freshman year in college. Uh, my goal at that time was to major in computer science. And so my parents um, had shared at that time, you know, you know, we've got your two younger brothers. And so, you know, we support you going to college. You can uh, definitely stay living here at home. We won't charge you rent. Um, <laughs> have to find a way to be able to pay for college. So at that time, though, my brother, who was 15 months younger than I, he had actually joined before I did. And I remember him coming home and telling my family that he went to see a recruiter and joined and all the benefits he was going to be able to get, you know, in terms of leadership and being able to uh, have support and go into college with the GI Bill. And mm -hmm. I decided being the oldest and the only girl in my family that, wow, you know what, I, you know, the oldest children in family tend to have certain personality types and have to blaze a trail for themselves. And so I joined the military um, as a way of developing my own leadership skills. Um, of course, growing up in New York, 
the issue of uh, culturally being resilient in an urban environment like that is important. But being able to go to basic training, that was the most amazing experience in my younger life. Um, I don't know if anything else compares to the mental resilience and the physical resilience that you go through being part of a team and a unit. I left basic training feeling like there was nothing that I couldn't achieve and couldn't accomplish. And I must say that in the course of me uh, participating in other opportunities as a civilian in life, I've always had those skills that were developed in terms of mental and physical resilience to fall back on. And also the leadership development skills, being focused, um, uh, being able to be mission oriented, uh, having a vision. How do we move forth and achieve it? And so I must say there was nothing in life <laughs> that was probably more challenging than uh, basic training. And certainly the leadership development was, was rewarding. It's, it's amazing how siblings can have such influence, influence over, over major decisions like that we have in life. Oh, yes. Yes, definitely. Do you have siblings? I got one brother. He joined the army before I did. And then he got out of the army and then he joined the air force. And then, uh, from there, I, he brought me down to, to the Travis air force base when I was 17 and I got to see wow. how air force living was like. And so what did I do? I, I turned around and joined the Marine Corps. Um, but, but he was the one that really showed me, you know, that there was a different life outside of the hometown. So yes, I, yes. You, you know, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because you're, I agree with you completely. Um, even though I was born and raised in New York and then since then, of course, as an adult, lived in other places. Um, when you are in the military and have that experience, you're uh, for, for many uh, young recruits, it's the first time you've been on a plane. Uh, for myself, I actually, the other good thing that I say the military did for me was that I met my husband through the military. It's a funny story in that I was literally at the MEP station, you know, the uh, in-processing station in Fort Dix, New Jersey. You met him early in your career. Before oh, you yes. Yeah, <laughs> I sure did. It was very early um, before I even got through basic training. That's true. And uh, and he tells the story uh, in our early years of our marriage of how I was the only new recruit into MEPS in a sundress. And so, of course, I took my uh, recruiter seriously. He said, just come with what you have on your back and we'll take care of the rest. And so, of course, by the time I landed in a uh, in uh, Fort Jackson, the drill sergeants uh, obviously corrected that. And uh, I was like, <laughs> it, it definitely was rewarding and empowering. Absolutely. Now you have uh, two kids, two children who are currently in or are they veterans or? Uh, yes, my our two sons, they are veterans, actually. So my oldest son uh, was a lieutenant in field artillery, and he's a veteran currently. And my youngest son was a well, my oldest son was in the uh, National Guard. And then my youngest son was in the Army Reserves um, as a medic, as a combat medic. And so my youngest son is Matthew Aaron Bishop, and he's currently a respiratory therapist. Um, in Maryland. And my oldest son is William Bishop II. And he's a probation officer in Denver, Colorado. I'm, I'm very, very proud of them and their service to the community. Very good. Very good. Now you were in for 18 years. While you were in, give me either a best friend or your greatest mentor. Yes, yes. So I would say um, probably as a cadet, uh, there was a female major who was a medical corps uh, nurse, and she inspired me to uh, 
uh, you know, go ahead and pursue getting a commission. And mm. I, yes, and she was an African-American lady. I had not at, at that time early on in my career uh, seen um, you know, many minority officers, much less um, a female minority officer. And so while I was assigned as a, res as a reserve cadet to that unit, she was very impactful on me. Um, I will also say though, that while I was in ROTC at John Jay College and their um, annex campus to Fordham University in New York, Captain Leidick um, was our commandant and he was so impactful on this uh, young urban girl's perspective about what the benefits of being an officer in the military can do in terms of uh, being comfortable interacting with individuals from different cultures, the opportunity of being able to participate in projects and lead them um, as a young lieutenant. And it was really inspiring. Your career as a career counselor and educator, did that come after your time in the military? How did that transition? How did that happen? Oh, thank you so much. So so um, while we were stationed at Fort Bragg, that's where I had the opportunity to um, earn my uh, uh, guidance and counseling degree, a master's of education in guidance and counseling from Campbell University. And so I, I majored in, you know, in guidance and counseling, never thought about actually going into the school setting, but I thought that I would uh, do community and mental health counseling for those who may have had addiction issues um, mm. because know that that can be something particularly that military individuals as well as civilians uh, uh, struggle with. So when we um, left Fort Bragg in order to get stationed at um, in um, Fort Gordon in Augusta, Georgia for my husband's uh, company command and a training unit, I had the opportunity to then work as a parent facilitator at the Aiken, South Carolina Alcohol and Drug Abuse Center, where I did parenting education classes for young mothers who had substance issues and going through my parenting classes enabled them to be able to uh, keep their children and not risk the possibility of losing their children due to their abuse. Well, during that time, I'm going out and about in the community and doing education about uh, substance abuse and awareness and where help is available. And I ended up meeting someone uh, who heard me in one of my presentations. And at the time, um, she was the executive director at the Augusta, Georgia Child Advocacy Center and offered me an opportunity to work with them as a child advocate. And that nonprofit was responsible for doing what we call forensic interviewing of uh, children who were victims of sex abuse. I would do forensic interviewing of victims of abuse who were ages um, kindergarten through 12th grade. And then my forensic interviews, which were recorded, would then be um, used by the local law enforcement when these uh, children's cases went to court. This way, with my testimony and the videotape, the children didn't go through additional trauma. Well, yet again, as divine intervention would have it, I'm doing um, child abuse prevention training um, for uh, pre-planning, which is the training window where teachers and educators um, get staff development before the school year start. So I was invited to do some child abuse prevention training for Richmond County Schools and Columbia County Schools, which I lived in Columbia County at the time. And in the audience, again, was a uh, individual who worked in Columbia County Schools. She was a school social worker. And she came up to me and said, Janae, you know, what's your education background, which I shared with her. And she said, have you ever thought about being in the school system? And I said, absolutely not. 
<laughs> but you know, at that time, my husband was on the, um, he was preparing to uh, uh, leave the military and he also um, was looking at what his next transition steps would be. So I actually entered education in Columbia County school system. Um, at that time, I was, I was able to become a middle school counselor, a high school counselor, and then an alternative school counselor. And then oh, my career evolved um, where as an alternative school counselor, my principal at the time was a retired Air Force um, officer and he was the principal of that school and he encouraged me along with my husband to go and pursue leadership in the school system. And I got to share, Tanner, at that time I thought, wow, you know, I think I've had enough leadership in the military. You know, I, <laughs> I just want to do my nine to five. <laughs> Exactly. So you can relate. And but I so loved, um, you know, working with the kids, you know, in all frankness. Uh, but at that point in time, um, you know, in education, when you pursue advanced degrees that impacts your pay, it impacts your contract year. So sure. I looked, wow, how can I maximize, um, you know, what I'm able to build with my husband for our sons? So and I have absolutely loved the journey, uh, Tanner. I um, in those two experiences, I did end up becoming a principal of an alternative school as well as of a high school. Oh, wow. Now that I'm uh, here in Somerville, South Carolina, I relocated from Georgia. Another transition, I might add. Um, I relocated from Georgia in uh, 2017. And so mm. you know, some of your listeners may be able to relate to this next aspect of my life as well. You know, I had uh, 20 years in education and loved it. And on the last week of school, uh, that prior weekend, I actually had launched my book, uh, How Much Joy Is In Your Journey. So we had a, a book launch with the March of Dimes that Saturday, that Sunday. Um, I was um, the MC for the Military Order of World Wars, where we had a female general coming in to speak to our chapter. Just an exciting weekend. And then I come home and my husband and I are sitting and talking for about three hours, just about how we were going to plan our summer. And uh, my husband had said to me, well, listen, keep next weekend free so that we can plan our, you know, getaways, because we used to like to take small road trips. Well, yeah. I want to share with you and, and your audience that we don't know what will change in the blink of an eye, because I never knew that that three hour conversation with my husband of 28 years would be the last conversation. That following morning, I woke up getting ready to go to work. It was the last week of school. And of course, as many educators out there can attest to, uh, you know, sometimes the adults are more excited about summer vacation than the students. And mm -hmm. I went to kiss my husband by as I've done for 28 years, except when he was deployed and the Lord had already called him home in his sleep. My husband was only 52 years old and he had died of a heart attack in his sleep. And oh so gosh. I share with everyone that that is what had compelled me to look at what would this next transition in my life be? I went from being a, a, a big transition, a I mean, big that's, transition. Absolutely. And I, you know, I got to And I got to say, Jeanette, you, you're very you, the way you talk about it and, and the and the. I want to say almost how, how easily you were able to bring that up, because I didn't know anything about that. Yes, you're very resilient. I mean, we talk, you talk about resilience and training. That's that's very resilient. Oh, thank you, Tanner. And it's a process. Um, you know, grief mm -hmm. is a process and resilience is a process that can be built. And I must say, Tanner, that that first year um, of deciding to leave my 21 year career in education, um, suddenly becoming a widow, my husband and I had 
work towards getting out of debt, paying off our home, our vehicles, our sons were out of college. We were looking at going into this next stage of life to retire early because, you know, education was a second career for both of us. And yeah. we're foodies. We love traveling and, and just enjoying, um, you know, spending time together to suddenly being widowed, being an empty nester, uh, to also suddenly deciding, did I want to stay in education or did was there another purpose for me to fulfill? And so I decided that um, that not knowing what tomorrow will bring, that there were other things that I could fulfill in this journey that we call life. So when I shared with our superintendent that that was going to be my uh, last year, um, I must say and admit that that whole year from July um, 2016 to July uh, 2017, was a blur uh, because I spent that whole time preparing my home to be sold, preparing my sons who were also grieving and planning to relocate. And so I say all of that to convey that resilience is something that can be built. And, and Tanner, I mentioned earlier that I'm the oldest in my family and I have two younger brothers. So as an only girl with brothers, you know, you have to be able to fend for yourself and you're used to doing that, and especially as an oldest child. But Tanner, that experience of suddenly losing my husband, my best friend, um, was very difficult. And so I know that for many military spouses or caregivers or even military couples who relationships may have faltered because of the stress of civilian life, uh, of military life and transitioning into civilian life, it is very, very difficult. And I realized very quickly, well, I won't say very quickly, it actually took a year. Once I arrived in South Carolina and unpacked the boxes and I was ready to jump into the next opportunity, I hit a break, brick wall and I realized I needed help. So Tanner, I not only went to one uh, grief recovery program, but two. My husband died of a heart attack and his condition was called stress-induced cardiomyopathy. And of course, when I learned more about that after uh, his passing, I realized that I needed the next step in my journey to be able to help people to build their resilience, to feel comfortable with asking for help, and to also take their health and wellness very seriously. And as military members, and, and especially as civilians, uh, once we transition out of the military, our mental and emotional health is so key and us being able to maintain the integrity of our family, the relationships with our partners and our children, and yeah. even critically transitioning into the civilian workforce. How did you know when you, I mean, that's, you talk about, it's a huge transition, uh, yes. career wise, family wise, you say you talked about, you hit a brick wall. How did you recognize that? How did you know that, that, Hey, I need, I need, I need, I need some help here. Oh, well, that's a great question. Very good question. Um, I realized that about myself when uh, it was difficult to get out of bed, when I found myself not wanting to eat or being able to eat, uh, when my parents uh, became very concerned because, you know, I've always been a high achiever um, and they saw me emotionally begin to withdraw. I'm sure that those um, principals who worked with me in my last year in education and the teachers that worked with me and the students that knew me, I would imagine that they would say I was uh, definitely a different person compared to the first 19 years that I was in education. And at that time, I remembered about some research that I had written in my book um, that revolved around the dimensions of wellness. And I you know, discussed, it was a self-coaching book, and I discussed five of those dimensions. 
So, you know, I went back, researched it some more, and Tanner, I want to share with everyone in the um, in the listening audience that there are eight dimensions of wellness that you can use as a blueprint to redesign and recreate your life. So when I felt myself declining, um, I realized, okay, if I'm going to speak to people about health and wellness, about uh, realizing that it's never too late to redesign and recreate your life, like I have, like I have had to do, and I'm still currently doing, how do you do that? So I've shared with people that there are eight dimensions of wellness: there's spiritual, physical, emotional, environmental, social wellness, which deals with your personal and professional relationships intellectual Mm -hmm. wellness, just like our podcast today, where you're learning something new. Occupational wellness is the job that you're working on, something that um, enlivens you, um, you feel enthusiastic about, you feel that it's aligned with your purpose. Then we have um, financial wellness. You know, are you working towards a a budget, um, a financial wellness mindset that enables you to do the things that you love to do and still be able to maintain your financial responsibility? When you took stock at that point in your life, what was, what, what did you see in yourself that, that needed to be improved out of those eight pillars? Oh, yes. Um, for me, I looked at those eight dimensions and decided, okay, every 30 days to 90 days, I'm going to work on one of them. And for me, um, you know, I'm very spiritually grounded and I'm a believer. I'm a Christian, uh, was spiritual wellness. But I share with people often that spiritual wellness doesn't necessarily mean a particular religion you ascribe to. It is what is it that you do in order to keep yourself centered, grounded so that you can go forth in your day and and recreate your presence in the world. Um, As I was going through that process, I would wake up, um, I would pray. And I would also uh, go through 10 minutes of guided meditation. Um, I I found that when I started my day in the calm mindset, um, because of course the thoughts that we feed ourselves become actions. Also, um, when I moved here in Somerville, I made sure that there were uh, things that were spiritually uplifting in my home, whether it was phrases like live, love and laugh, um, whether it was Um, I have this one calligraphy art on on a wall in my living room that says, enjoy this moment for this moment is your life. I had needed to remind myself constantly that every moment that we spend is the only thing that's guaranteed. We need to realize that this moment in time, the present is a gift. It's called the present because it is the gift of time. And when we woke up this morning, we had two gifts when we open our left eye and when we open our right eye. And so as I was easing out of the depression and realized that I needed to get help so that I didn't feel guilty about moving forward in life and being successful without my sons living at home with me so that I could move forward and be successful without a husband who could, you know, no longer be here to be my cheerleader, but I'm sure energetically and spiritually, he's still encouraging me along. (laughs) And also to be able to look at the fact that, um, knowing that I needed to move forward in my personal life as well. And that's something that is so key for so many people. So of those eight dimensions, the first one that was key for me as a foundation was that spiritual wellness. I love the fact that you're bringing up live, laugh, love, and, and, what some people would call like basic parts of a home, like that's Absolutely. basic, you know? but, it, but you're showing what that, the power of what that does for some people. So I think that's amazing. I really do. I think that's awesome. Oh, thank you. Now you mentioned that, uh, talking with veterans, uh, 
your bio says you, you also volunteer with the American Red Cross by leading the This is Freedom, which is a resiliency training workshops for veteran inmates in South Carolina. That you is know, correct. Yes, it was a rewarding experience. I, I, I can only imagine. Um, you know, and I think it's it's a veteran population that, you know, not many of us talk about, but they are there. And at the end of the day, they're veterans, too. Yeah. So no matter the reason they're there, there's one that's one thing that nobody can ever take any. Nobody can ever take that away from them. That's exactly so, right. So talk to me about that program. What What is that program all about? Oh, my. It is an absolutely amazing program that the Red Cross has as part of service to the armed forces. And the opportunity of the program is to be able to help individuals who are military connected to develop skills that impact their uh, physical and mental health in order for them to transition successfully. And part of that transitioning is, of course, being able to be resilient. And so um, this, it started out um, as a reconnection workshop for those who were in the military reconnecting with their families and helping them to transition into a successful reconnection with their family, then, um, you know, redesigned to be able to embrace the idea of resiliency because reconnecting definitely um, involves being resilient, resilient to um, survive what experiences you may have had when you were in the military to now being resilient to open yourself up to the possibilities of a civilian. And so those workshops, um, they were primarily to support and assist service members and veterans and their families in dealing with the issues and challenges related to transition throughout military life and throughout a career, because there are some military individuals who um, obviously transition into civilian life. And the workshops consist of several standalone modules that are available for any military member, veteran, or individual with a connection to the military. Very good. Very good. What um, you talked about there, you, you know, it used to be almost like a reintegration for, for those that were reintegrating with their families. What topics do you cover? They can be in any particular order, but a module one is effective communication. And this module is designed to build effective communication skills and emphasize some transition points in the military life and how stress can impact those transition points. And so in this communication module, the participants learn to communicate verbally and non-verbally, as well as how to interpret and respond in positive ways with a healthy outcome. Then there's the second module, which um, is titled Stress Solutions. And in this module, I help participants understand the difference between healthy and unhealthy stress levels. So the goal is that participants learn to recognize and manage their stressors in their lives, particularly those related to transition and life changes. So they learn the physical and mental health consequences of allowing stress to build, as well as some effective ways to address it. Then we also have the module called Trauma Talk. And in this module, it's designed to help participants broach the subject of trauma in a non-intimidating yet approachable way. And here, the attendees learn to define and recognize traumatic events, as well as the various reactions they may have had with it. And so the module helps participants identify effective ways to address trauma responses in themselves and how to help those around them after experiencing trauma. Another particular one that was really interesting in many groups was the one that's titled Emotional Grit. 
This module is designed to help participants recognize and understand the different thoughts, feelings, and behaviors that contribute to and define depression. So of course, for myself, the journey that I've been on, this really resonated with me. And so this module aims to break down stereotypes and misconceptions about depression and how to approach it. And it helps our participants identify problems, symptoms, and set goals related to managing their emotions. Then another big one is diffusing anger. And this module addresses the anger that can develop during major military transitions. You know, of course, if this is someone who is not in a confined area and uh, sometimes attendees talk about uh, deployments and moves and leaving the service. And so this module aims to normalize and break down that being angry is a normal um, emotion, but to understand your responses. So in this module, participants can identify and improve their skills to manage and understand their anger. And then finally, uh, we have um, actually it's two sessions. One is intro to mind body and then the other one is mind body skills. So uh, uh, typically, um, particularly at McDougal, we would combine both of those. So I would introduce what is mind body and what are some skills that you can employ in being able to control some of the physical, the physiological experiences that you may have and to help us to realize the mind body connection. That sounds like a full plate of, of, of classes. Um, how did the veteran inmates respond to the training? Oh my, they were very hesitant, I must say, at first. Sure. Yes, yes. Karen Cook, the Red Cross um, manager for this particular area here in Charleston, South Carolina, did a phenomenal job of building the bridge between the Red Cross and the, um, you know, the correctional facility, uh, McDougal. So McDougal is a, a level one correctional facility and uh, they have a wing. I didn't realize that some correctional facilities actually have a wing specific to veterans. And so um, and so their veteran wing were informed after everything was approved through Karen Cook and her um, leadership staff uh, intervention to make this happen. And, and I might add also that to be a facilitator and then again to work in this environment, I had to go through a background check and they had to make sure I was aware of certain things that could and couldn't be done and could and couldn't be said uh, and things along those lines. An example, you know, I'm not to ask the uh, individual um, you know, what their offense was that brought them sure. here because the focus is on this um, life-affirming module that we're sharing with them that hopefully will help them have uh, better skills while they are in this facility, but also be able to transition into civilian life successfully. So, you know, we've done several groups, you know, with all of these modules there, but I would say I was probably nervous as well, but you know, there's a saying to whom much is given, much is required. And so, you know, to the least of us, you know, we all have a, have a, a commitment and a responsibility to care for. And so, um, so, you know, of course, once I got through that and I remember going into the first group and when the men walked in, I can see them, you know, raising an eyebrow. Um, you know, wondering what could this, you know, you know, are we here so that we can get out of some other duty, you know, that sure. they may have as a result of their um, correctional status. But when I have them to sit down and they realize this is not a sit and get, this is not a lecture. What was amazing was as soon as I had the men to share, um, you know, what was their military connection, 
what was a positive thing about their experience. I prefer to bring the concepts of applied positive psychology to the table, which focuses on what is right that's happening in your life. So when the men are able to share about their military experience and um, why they join, you know, kind of like what you asked me and what was a memorable thing that empowered them, that sets the climate, the energy, the tone. It kind of lit up at that point. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Tanner, I, I must say that when I then, you know, I let them all introduce themselves individually and I remind them that what stays, you know, kind of like being in Las Vegas, what happens in the group stays in the group. But, um, you know, in conveying that once they have, in, you know, introduced themselves, you know, they didn't realize that Karen was also a veteran, nor that I'm a veteran. They figured that, uh, kind of got the impression from one or two who had completed our program, who came up to me and said, you know, initially I thought you were just another do-gooder coming in to give us some words of praise. But when they realized that I started out enlisted, I am a military veteran, I served as a military spouse, and I'm a mother of two veterans, literally Tanner, you can see the wall. It wasn't a big wall of resistance, but it was kind of like, what could this young lady possibly tell me about my experience and preparing to move forward. And so with that level of commonality, it, it laid a foundation for every single module for them to realize and um, feel, oh, okay, she has a sense of awareness about the struggles of communication in the military. Um, you communicate one way and then you get out into civilian life and uh, you come to realize that way of communicating, especially if you were in a combat or field unit, does not translate well uh, when you are in a civilian corporate setting for individuals who may have struggled and making that transition. And um, I, I can remember uh, some of the men um, who have level one offenses, you know, might have dealt with, um, um, you know, alcohol issues, drug issues, uh, domestic issues. But, you know, many of them have worked before they, you know, entered the correctional facility. And they shared that um, that one of the challenges was in the military, everything is very structured. You have your um, position, you know, the mission, you know, the training and you know what the parameters are to achieve the mission. And but when they got into civilian life, their struggle was individuals who were their co-workers did not have that sense of loyalty or being mission oriented, or at least that was their perception. So for them, it was really difficult to connect with some of their coworkers. And then they, of course, you know, talked about communication with their loved ones, with their children. Um, and they, you know, just talked, had an opportunity to talk in an environment where they were introduced some ways of being able to handle whatever was the topic of the day, but then also be able to see that having a support system like this group of individuals is a great way to heal and to develop new ways to be able to move forward. And hopefully those new ways can benefit you as civilians as well. Absolutely. Is there anything that the, that the inmates have taught you either about them or about yourself? Oh, wow. Yes. Um, goodness. I learned that we have two ears and one mouth for a reason to listen twice as much as we speak. Mm. Yes, um, that's a big lesson. And uh, uh, because, of course, you know, as an educator, I talk for a living, train teachers, train students, do uh, different things in the community. Um, as a guidance counselor, um, when I was a guidance counselor, and I think we all counsel in one way or another, you know, I listened. But by facilitating this group, what those um, individuals, the participants were able to teach me is that 
when you listen long enough, you can pick up threads of other people's experiences in this group. And the group is homogeneous in two ways. One, it was all male. And two, these were all individuals who had um, military experience. And life is about relationships. And so even in an environment like this, you can build a relationship where the person feels heard and they feel understood. And when one feels heard and understood, that can be a very strong foundation for a change in believing that they can make a change. And so as I was going through my grief process, um, the first group uh, that I was participating in, I was actually going through my own uh, grief group at Trident Medical Center at the time. And, uh, and I remember some of the men talking about how they uh, did not feel comfortable going to therapy because when you were in the military um, and you had an issue that you know, might've been mental health related, especially if you were someone with some rank, you were concerned about what your commander would feel if they got back to your unit, if that was perceived as not being militarily ready. And um, we talked about how it's so important to communicate what you're experiencing and getting it out of your head. And I chose that as the opportunity to share with them that you know I am a widow um, of a husband who died of a heart attack at 52. And in retrospect, we really do believe that had he reached out to get help for his PTSD and, and the anger symptoms that I recall and other symptoms that I recall at that time, um, perhaps life would have been different for him. It might not have contributed to the high blood pressure or the, 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 the disillusion um, that sometimes uh, happens. And so that really impacted the men. And the, uh, the, the other big lesson that it taught me was that as a facilitator, as a fellow human being, sometimes being transparent and letting other individuals know that, yeah, I may have the degrees, I may have this experience, I may have done that. But at the end of the day, I'm just a human being just like you, trying to make it each and every day. Absolutely. Um, is there any follow-on training and support from the program, say, if they, if they eventually leave the correctional facility? Oh, my. Um, I, I'm, I'm not aware. I cannot speak to that in terms of whether or not there's any follow-up training from the Red Cross for uh, the individuals in the correctional facility once they transition into civilian life. Um, I can't speak to that. Uh, what I can tell you, though, is that um, of those individuals who were in the process of going before their parole board, and of course, they had their completion certificates from the modules that they participated in, which I want the audience to know too, um, at this particular correctional facility, it was an amazing blessing. The fact that the men participated in this uh, program enabled them to have certificates that were placed in their files to show that they, while incarcerated, they were working on their own well-being and wellness to ensure a more, or to build a more successful transition into civilian life. Gotcha. Um is there maybe a significant success story that you can share? Oh, um, yes, yes. There was one gentleman who I believe um, he had shared. He might have been like maybe in our third cohort. Um, but when he arrived, I can tell by his personality, he was a drill sergeant. You know, he was like stoic and uh, he wasn't a very tall man, but he was one of those kinds of individuals where even though they might have been height challenged, when they walked into a room, they commanded a presence. And um, when they went through in, uh, introducing themselves, he had not shared in the initial introduction, but did as the group 
began to reveal more about themselves that he was a drill sergeant, you know, that he had been a drill sergeant at one point in his career and how that way of communicating and getting things done became part of his personality, but that he came to realize that it wasn't developed by the military. He actually had some of those quality points as a result of being um, um, a, a son in a large family. And I think he might've been you know, one of the older children and he had sisters. So he was used to having that mindset of being in charge and getting things done. Well, what was, um, what was memorable for me was when he first started, I can tell that he was resistant, wasn't that kind of guy who shared personal things. Um, however, when I shared the story about my husband and the impact on how um, his untimely passing changed life for my sons and I, and how he wasn't one to want to believe in therapy or talk to anyone, this man began to open up. And he shared the story of how when he got out of the military, um, while he was in the military, he was estranged from his young adult daughter for his um, anger issues, for his style of very strong, aggressive communication and that he appreciated this module on communication skills and as well as diffusing anger. And that um, while he was in our session, because the sessions were like six or seven weeks long, you know, one session a week. And that phone call with his daughter was an opportunity for him to use some of these skills and improve their communication. I absolutely love that. I was so thankful that we were able to impact him in that way. Um, another thing that was impactful was um, Karen Cook um, led some art projects. And so um, um, the participants were able to make Christmas ornaments, um, bird cages that they painted. And there's research that supports the um, emotional health benefit of creativity and art. And these men, uh, they were really talented. Many of them uh, were so thrilled that their product was going to be on display in the facility and and I really like that. You know, that was really a great experience. And so um, I think that's something unique that certainly other chapters should definitely consider doing. This is an amazing project. This resiliency program in facilities such as McDougal, in programs um, in the community, does so much for helping people to see that growth is not fixed. Growth is something that can occur at any stage in your life. And it's about having a mindset. And sometimes we don't know what we don't know until someone points it out to us and shows us the way. Very good. Thank you. Now, this is at the McDougal Correctional Institution in Ridgeland, South Carolina. Are there any plans to extend the program elsewhere by the Red Cross or is it, or is it just a pitch for the program to the Red Cross and they fund it? I'm trying to figure out if there's, an, say if there's another counselor, say in, in Colorado, how can they do the same thing that you're doing through the Red Cross? Oh, wow. That's a fantastic uh, question. Um, I can't speak to whether or not another agency is currently doing it or will be able to do it. Uh, what I can say is that it's important for those who are listening that if you have a desire to implement the same program, definitely reach out to, um, to the Palmetto Red Cross and speak specifically to Karen Cook. Uh, she can definitely share with you uh, what was involved in her making that connection with the warden of this correctional facility and her leadership there at the Red Cross. Because the Red Cross has a history of being able to serve people. This is just a new population that it's gonna be able to serve in this very dynamic way. Um, I will also share that for those who may be interested in volunteering in this capacity, um, it does require that facilitators actually are certified in a clinical area. So whether that is certified as a school counselor, 
um, as a psychologist, as a social worker, because there are certain skill sets in leading a group that is very uh, integral to the education that individuals with those kinds of certifications have received. But with that interest and with the program being implemented, Red Cross will send you through a training um, uh, on the modules. You're not having to wing it or determine it on your own. And it's, and it's very research-based, research sound. Um, it's, it's just absolutely fantastic. And it gives anyone with a heart to serve an opportunity to serve in a new way. Very good. Dr. Bishop, what is one thing that you learned in service that you carry with you today? Oh, yes. The one thing um, that I learned, are you referring to my military service? Absolutely. Yep. Yes. The one thing that I learned in my military service um, is that resilience is not fixed. It can be built. Um, the Janae Smalls was my maiden name, um, who went to basic training in Fort Jackson, South Carolina, and felt she could tackle the world. That was the first time that my physical resilience was pushed to the limit and my mental resilience uh, going through those uh, road marches and uh, weapons training. Um, you know, I didn't realize that I can do those things and it empowered me. And to realize that as we go through life, our resilience is built in other ways as well, between being single and then married and having children, between being um, having to adjust to changing careers or having to adjust to changing your marital status or having to adjust to just starting life over, following your passion and your purpose. So my biggest lesson that I learned coming out of the military is that you take you wherever you go. It's never too late to learn. And it's never too late to create the best version of yourself. Very good. Um, Jeanette, is, now we've mentioned the Red Cross, but is, is there another veteran nonprofit or an individual who you've worked with who you've, or who you've had experience with whom you'd like to mention? Yes, absolutely. I also serve in the advisory capacity for the Vantage Point Foundation, which is a nonprofit here in Charleston that works with uh, military connected individuals surviving through PTSD. Um, most recently, I've uh, started providing health coaching for those individuals uh, going into a lifestyle program where they want to address their habits of health in order to redesign and recreate their lives, beginning with weight management and then impacting uh, the habits of health that enables them to keep the weight off. And so I love being involved in the community and empowering people to continue to grow and evolve and, and know that they can create the best version of themselves. Jeanette, we, we've covered a lot of ground. Um, is there anything else that I might have missed or, or didn't bring up that you think it's important to share? Oh, my. You have been amazing, Tanner. So thorough. Um, I was sitting on pins and needles saying, oh, my goodness, I hope that I am prepared to serve the Red Cross well in this amazing interview. I just want to take the opportunity to thank um, Nancy Cataldo and Karen Cook and Emily Osmond for coordinating this opportunity for me to be of service on an even greater scale. And I want to encourage all veterans out there, all caregivers, all families of veterans, reach out to the VA, reach out to military connected organizations and ask for help, receive help. This day is a gift. It's called the present for a reading, for a reason. And I want you to be able to live the best life possible. Getting out of the military, I was missing this camaraderie. It's frustrating when you try and talk to people that don't understand. I still had the anger, I still had the addictions, but we didn't talk about that. 
came to a point where it's like, okay, I really need to talk to somebody about this. Family more or less encouraged me, you know, go, go to the VA. It's okay to go get help. It's okay to talk to people because it takes true strength to ask for help. Hear veterans' real stories of strength and recovery at maketheconnection.net. I want to thank Janae for coming on here and talking to us. For more information on Janae, you can visit Boots to Breakthrough, all in word, boots to breakthrough.com forward slash about. Our Born the Battle Veteran of the Week was emailed to us at our email at podcast at va.gov, and it came in at the request of one of our listeners. Dallas Berry writes, I would like to nominate Marine Corps veteran Bill Woods as the veteran of the day. He lives in Roseburg, Oregon, and I met him about 10 years ago when I owned a vehicle cleaning business. He owns an aircraft sales company named Western Wings Incorporated. I looked it up. The man sells million-dollar Learjets. I detailed his aircraft and other vehicles. This man is a leader and a mentor. He is likely the most successful man that I know. From day one, I knew there was something special about him. He always has words of wisdom. He did two tours of Vietnam, and he later became a police officer in San Diego in Los Angeles. I worked for and with him at the airport off and on for many years. One day, I decided to go back to school as a non-traditional student. Woody, as his friends call him, was so supportive and pushed me to better my life and the life of those around me. Being the most successful man that I have ever met, he is a humble servant. I am honored to know him, and even though I no longer live in Southern Oregon, I always reach out and give him the good news, as I feel indebted to him for his service. Marine Corps veteran Bill Woods. We also thank you for your service. That's it for this week's episode. If you yourself would like to nominate a Born the Battle Veteran of the Week, you can. Just send an email to podcast at va.gov, just like Dallas did. Include a short write-up and let us know why you'd like to see him or her as the Born the Battle Veteran of the Week. And if you like this podcast episode, hit the subscribe button. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, pretty much any podcatching app known to phone, computer, tablet, or man. For more stories on veterans and veteran benefits, check out our website, blogs.va.gov, and follow the VA on social media, all the medias. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, RallyPoint, LinkedIn. I think even now we have a Pinterest, right? I think so. Check it out. DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, no matter the social media, you can always find us at that blue check mark. And as always, I'm reminded by people smarter than myself to remind you that the Department of Veterans Affairs does not endorse or officially sanction any entities that may be discussed in this podcast, nor any media products or services they may provide. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you right here next week. Take care.